Sarah Benincasa, and this is another episode of Well, This Isn't Normal. Today's guest is Ryan H. Walsh, but before we get to him, a few things. I'm thrilled to offer you a discount from my favorite lingerie shop ever, Jeanette Braz, owned by actress and all-around badass Jeanette Goldstein, who you may remember from Aliens as Vasquez and... Oh, God, I think she was John Connor's stepmom in Terminator 2, and she's been in a ton of stuff, and she does voiceovers and acting, and but she's she's also a bra monger. She is a lingerie lady, and she owns um, a few boutiques uh, in Los Angeles and then in Atlanta, and wow, they are all closed now because small businesses, small retail businesses, non-essential are closed, as you know, in most major cities, so... She has not had online commerce until now, but she's always worked with people. She has hooked me up long distance when I needed it, and um, so I want to help her out. So I'm not getting a commission from this or anything, but if you go to JeanetteBras.com, J-E-N-E-T-T-B-R-A-S.com, or go to their website, Jeanette, or excuse me, their Instagram, um, which is at Instagram, and it's JeanetteBras underscore L-A, look for what you like. If you find something, um, email them info at JeanetteBras.com. That's info at JeanetteBras.com to tell them what you want and your sizes. You can also DM them at JeanetteBras underscore LA. You can send them a direct message on Instagram and use my offer code TITSMCGEE, T-I-T-S-M-C-G-E-E. That's right. I came up with that myself. Tits McGee. I'm sophisticated. It'll get you 15% off plus free shipping within the United States. Jeanette is my friend. She's great. She does incredible work. I am a 34H or a 36G, depending. And sometimes I'm other sizes. Uh, but um, damn it if she hasn't been extraordinarily helpful over the years um, with these bosoms. And wow, does my back thank her. Um, so yeah, info at JeanetteBras.com, 15% off offer code TITSMCGEE and your sizes. Now, I am a brand affiliate with Matrushka. When you hear people giving offer codes on podcasts, you probably already know this, they get a cut of commission, basically commission for sales. That's usually how it works. So Matrushka is owned by my friend Laura and Matrushka is uh, Los Angeles based. There's one boutique. It is closed now. They've been, I think she's had the company for 18 years. If you go to matrushka.com, M-A-T-R-U-S-H-K-A.com and use my offer code S-A-R-A at checkout, they do have an online store, S-A-R-A, you will get 20% off plus free shipping. Um, Laura and Raina, Raina's master seamstress, and Leslie, she's the pattern maker, the expert pattern maker, and Laura, the designer who also sews some of the clothing, they make it all right here in Los Angeles. They are a tiny company um, and I'm really... Very grateful to get to be a brand, a brand affiliate with them. Um, so matrusha.com slash uh, S-A-R-A. It brings me some joy to get to support women in business who I dig very much. So, And of course, if you just want to put something in our tip jar, you can go to patreon.com slash Sarah Benincasa. And that will bring you to the place where you can support and you will get, uh, of course, the joy of knowing you helped make this podcast, but also you will get my weekly newsletter, Serotonin. Okay. I know that's a lot of product and offer code and everything up top, but um, 
the Matryoshka thing and the Patreon thing help me keep the lights on and might help me purchase like, I don't know, some sort of booth. <laughs> Not really, but you know, some perhaps superior soundproofing to do this. Uh, I would like to be able to do that so that this sounds as good as possible for you. And um, anyway, shout out to Spoke Media. They're being amazing and for the time being have volunteered production services, which is great. Um, and I appreciate that very much. If you hear loud neighbors, if you hear my cat, just, you know, it's part of the general experience. Ooh, all right. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. I'm not setting my neighbors on fire, so that's cool. Don't do that. Don't be violent. Don't be nasty. Make some art. Work out your aggression if you need to. I chat with Ryan H. Walsh. Walsh? 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 Ryan H. Walsh is a friend from the internet, and he is in Boston, Massachusetts, and he is a musician, and he also is an author. If you look in the show notes, you'll find links to his music, and you will also find links to his book. He's really cool. I hope you enjoy this. I laugh a lot. I curse a lot. I say some inappropriate things. That happens sometimes. Sometimes the podcast will be enormously soothing. Other times, hopefully, it'll be funny. My um, hope is that you always enjoy it and that it helps you out. And in the outro afterwards, you will hear um, a bit of a relaxation exercise. So I hope you enjoy that. And thanks for being here. Ryan Walsh. Hello, Sarah. Ryan H. Walsh. Yeah. Hamilton. Yeah. Ryan Hamilton Walsh, um, musician, uh, lyricist, composer. Mm. Uh, no one would ever call me a composer. Not a but, composer. Um, a Instrumentalist. Like, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And author. Yep. The, and now the Oh, and human from Boston. All those that, things. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank Composer. you so much. For, thank you so much for being here. Um, I know that, you know, how long have you been in the uh, noted band Hallelujah the Hills? Uh, well, we started that band in late 2005. So it's almost 15 years. Um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. That's amazing We've, longevity. I know. It surprises us. Um, one of the things that I think makes that longevity possible is that we, um, don't depend on it for our livelihoods, <laughs> which kind of echoes from your book, you know, like, um, uh, yeah, re real artists have day jobs. Absolutely. I right. mean, that, that's probably the book of all the books I've published, which there've been like four actual ones and one joke book that I just published on Amazon self-published. So like, let's say four real books and one just like silly one. Uh, real artists have day jobs, I think is the one that resonates the most because so many people relate to that. And and you, I'm sure, how many jobs, okay, how many jobs besides, over 15 years, besides uh, um, talented, handsome troubadour would you say you've had? Well, um, I, I'm, I keep, Two, but like, uh, hold on, I'll stop stuttering in a second. Um, uh, 
I, I keep like, uh, well, for the first half of the band, I was the box office manager at the American Repertory Theater in Harvard Square, which is Ooh. somewhat world famous. It's uh, where Diane Paulus works out of now and creates those Broadway sensations. Um, but then um, in 2012, uh, I went a little off the, uh, no, I don't like that term. I went a little nuts and um, and just quit without another job and then spent like six months um, just uh, living life and, uh, but also writing every day and stuff. And uh, that was one of the best times of my life. But then I did uh, secure another day job where I'm still to this day, uh, Arts Emerson at Emerson College Professional Theater Company. So it's, I, you know, I keep those jobs for long. If I had to jump around from, job to job, um, that kind of stability for my personality would be awful. Because of this, that stability, I'm able to do this other stuff, I think. And um, yeah, the Hills model is we put it all back to the band and just and just keep that going. Because it could, it, you'd be surprised how much for even a small band like us, uh, small fame-wise, uh, how much it costs to keep that kind of thing going. And put stuff out and stuff. Look, I saw that blue check mark on Twitter. I, uh, you're underplaying your, you, your fame. You know how I got it, though? How did you get it? Um, when I got the um, deal to write the book, it was I needed to get, secure certain interviews. And um, I noticed people, it, I, I wanted, like when I needed to reach out to, um, I can't think of an example now, but well, no, when you, I understand as, as an author, I understand a lot of times and a lot of people don't know this and, and hopefully people who are at home are finding more time to read even in between perhaps uh, weeping at loss of income and being depressed. And I wish I was joking and I started to be joking, but everything I'm describing is real and a real experience. So if you have time at home uh, in between dealing with the whatever you are dealing with, I feel like more people are starting to listen to audiobooks or even um, read a little bit here and there, if only to like escape into the bathroom or the bathtub. Mm -hmm. So I think it's kind of cool to let people in and, and tell them how author stuff works because quite sure. frankly, Ryan H. Walsh, Walsh, author of Astral Weeks, um, I thought that every writer got rich right, and right. I thought that they all had full-time publicists who right. booked everything for them. But what you're talking about is, is realizing – Oh, when I approach people to try and publicize my book, I need some kind of thing, some kind of authority of right. some kind. Yeah. So I begged for that blue mark and I got it. <laughs> <laughs> Begging is a really good move as an artist. By the way, you can support this podcast, patreon.com slash Sarah Benning. Hey, look what I did. Do you, as, as the band, by the way, uh, uh, where can people go to find out more about the, the band and to purchase music and the such? Okay, well, um, hollywoodthehills.com is our main website, but if you're, and you can find us on any service you use, but if you're gonna buy music from us, go to Bandcamp, um, because that comes right to us. Um, and, uh, you know, we, I, we just cut a tour short, and on the ride home, you know, this, the Massachusetts news about bars and restaurants, you know, half the people in the van realized they were going home to no job. So it's a very weird time. What was and, that moment like uh, sitting in there? How many of you are there in the band? There's six of you? Currently six, yeah. Okay, so were you all six in the same vehicle? We were actually split into two cars for this uh, trip, so it was half is, and half. What does that do to the mood, What the vibe? In a, you're already dealing with disappointment with knowing your tours cut short, but uh, 
how does that, how do, how do people deal with that in the moment? Um, they, you know, everyone, <laughs> you get, you get every, there was just a weird, worried feeling and, and, and included me who was going home to a job. Um, just like, uh, just a bit of the bottom out kind of feel, uh, the bottom falling out feeling. And, mm. and, and I feel like every day of that tour, like there's a good argument we shouldn't have started on it anyways, but uh, I won't make that now. But every, every day of the tour, a different, we woke up to a different reality being presented where it was like, Oh, it's this now. Oh, oh, now it's this. Oh, now we're going home, you know? And, um, and I feel like that's, uh, I haven't, Today has been the first day where something entirely new didn't seem to be presented to me when I woke up, but I'm it's still early. Alert. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. We are recording. Uh, to put this in context for the, the good people, we are recording, let's see, it's not yet 10 a.m. on the day after St. Patrick's Day. Which the 18th. Is the 18th. And, and that must have also been a weird thing. You're in Boston, so like the same day that Tom Brady was like, I'm retiring or going somewhere else. I suck. I'm going to go suck off the president. Like, you know, he made yeah. that announcement and, and that's a verbatim quote. Yeah. Um, uh, he, he also said, go Yankees. Uh, it was weird. It was a weird press conference that he gave. Everyone was very confused that he said all those things. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a sports guy, so I, I don't, he can, he's always been able to go suck it in my opinion, but, uh, wow. I like you. Okay. But, but like, also I like you read the, read the room, Tommy. <laughs> Yeah, like, I mean, like, could this, <laughs> could this waited a, could this have waited a week? <laughs> now, I, like, I, like I said, I don't care, but now I have to comfort friends who were devastated. <laughs> like, why? That is such a good fucking point, Ryan. I didn't even think about that because I was so. You know, you go into autopilot, right? Where you're just like, fuck, what's going to happen today? Okay, so you get up. And I saw that. And it was significant because I was like, there were two friends in my life who to whom I sent genuine condolences because they love that piece of shit and jerk off thinking about them every night. Uh, so to both of them, I just was like, hey, I heard the news about Brady and sent a heart. Uh, and it was like, because I knew for them, it was like, you know, when you're functioning on as low kind of an intellectual level as these people I'm talking about. Like, you just need to communicate an emoji. So I was like, listen, guys. But, you know, I didn't stop. It felt weird. And I was like, this isn't impacting my life other than that I shouldn't make fun of my friends today. But what, what is weird about this? And I realized... He didn't read the room. He didn't need to do it that day. You just I, made me realize. <laughs> I know. But, uh, I mean, maybe there's reasons we don't know that he had to do it and he had pushed it off for weeks or something. Who cares? It, That's but very it'll be forever. It'll be forever known as as a uh, fuck you while we were down. And, On uh, St. Patrick's yeah. Day also, because if, if for folks who are listening who've never been to the, the sacred city of Boston, I mean, St. Pat's is a big deal there. Hey, you know how fucked up things were? Yesterday, how Sarah, how, Sarah how fucked up. The fucking Dropkick Murphys had to live stream their annual St. Patrick's Day concert. They couldn't. They couldn't do it in person. That's a you know that's a fucking shame. And my I favorite part, even... I, I like that they did it. Yeah, no, that's very respectful because a, a lot of uh, date rapists stayed home. So oh, that's geez. good. Okay, that was me. I, can't, I said I can't, that. You I didn't say that. I can't comment on that. But. You didn't say that. Um, 
I like that they did it from an undisclosed location. <laughs> like, like it, 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 needed, it needed to be under wraps. They were like in Connecticut. They had to be so undisclosed that they were in Hartford. Yeah. Oh, my God. You know what? So far in this interview, I've said at least two terrible things. And I feel great about that because it means that I personally am starting to feel more normal-ish. Are, are you starting yes. to feel more normal-ish? Maybe? Yeah, uh, li- a little bit, but uh, um, I'm prepared uh, to like change any. I don't know. I mean, uh, I was freaked out a couple nights ago. I haven't freaked out like that since. And um, uh, yeah, there's a lot of getting used to. And um, I'm just trying to be there for my friends and family, you know. Do you find that there's a range? Uh- so not everybody processes in the same way, right? right. We, we know that. Um, and I think this has brought that into stark relief in a way that I haven't seen since 9-11, honestly, when I was like... It feels just go- like the weeks after 9-11, by the way. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I like, remember where, I knew- where, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say I knew that, that things were wild in Boston. I was living there at the time. I went to Emerson shortly yeah. before dropping out. It's a great school. I love it. They brought me back to speak. Send your kids to Emerson. Yay. It's wonderful. It is Come not see a play. inexpensive. Go see a play. Go yeah. see a play. Yeah. yeah. But so, so I remember I, had, I saw a couple signs up that were like, that said, we love you, New York. And I was like, oh, if people in Boston are putting up, we love you, New York signs. I have the best story. Okay. We went to the first Red Sox game back after 9-11, which was whatever. Maybe it was a few weeks, maybe it was a month. I can't recall. But we go to Fenway Park, we watch the game. Everyone's like, this is fun and normal. Like everyone's just trying to um, get back into the groove. And then we go outside and the guy on Lansdowne Street was selling two shirts, United We Stand and Yankees Suck. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) And then the Diamondbacks won the series that year. Damn it. And at the time, a lot of us, well, you know, not everybody. I think a lot of, I think a lot of people of color in New York knew that Rudy Giuliani sucked uh, and and continued to know that. But, and a lot of, of, of various uh, thinking people in various ways knew that. But for that time, he was deified. He was like, I know. If he, had, if he had just gone away, he would have been like a hero in the yeah, history he sh- books. He should have tapped out. Just retire. And, you know, and now he's like a cartoon villain. Anyways, yeah. but, but right now, just getting a coffee um, with the exchange with the clerk feels. Weighted and and like and has this extra layer of meaning because we're, I mean that's the that's the upside of uh, terrible times like this is that shared human experiences connect people who don't have a history and who might think of themselves as the other usually, and then some people <laughs> some people don't embrace that kind of mindset and then you know start blaming the other like my editor Ed who's being called out in the street as uh, a virus carrier because he's Asian. Yes, your editor, Ed. Um, tell me more about Ed's uh, and tell us more about Ed's, uh, Ed's. Uh, I just I was about to say Ed's op-ed. No, it's Ed's opinion piece that he, that he wrote recently in the Times. Uh, New Yorker. Oh, um, in the New Yorker, I'm sorry. Yeah, Ed, Ed Park, uh, co-founder of The Believer, definitely changed my life um, because um, – uh, 
quick backstory. When I, I, the Astro Week story originally was a Boston Magazine article that um, was passed around. A lot of people liked it. And then uh, Ed emailed me and said, listen, I bet a lot of editors are reaching out to you to talk about maybe a book, but I love the album too. Talk to me first. And I think I wrote back like, yeah, yeah, a lot of editors. <laughs> he was the only one. And, uh, <laughs> and um, that all led to... Um, uh, the book with Penguin Press. Anyways, um, through that process, Ed and I became great friends and uh, still are. But, um, you know, he lives in Manhattan with his family and he had an altercation with a, a racist on the street the other day who said, you know, get away from me. I don't want the virus. It's just like um, uh, unbelievable. But his piece in The New Yorker about it is so great. He kind of... <laughs> claims this person and refers to him as my racist throughout the piece. <laughs> and uh, it's just full of, he's very funny and smart and um, people should read that. Yeah. Um, and, and and also that person on the street um, was, may have been coming up with that themselves or they may have been taking a cue from their president and who I am sure is their president who referred to it as the Chinese virus. Right. Uh, uh, which is absurd as if, as if a virus can have an, ethnicity. It's no, that's where they found it. It's like the Spanish flu. I was going back and forth with some dude on Twitter about this in a polite way. He got upset and unfollowed me. I was like, okay. Uh, but uh, he was like, we, well, a lot of times we name viruses for where they come from, like the Spanish flu. And I was like, no, they found the span. I used to think that too, because I did. I was like, try to meet people where they're at and admit my own faults, which are numerous and my own, you know, reflexive, you know, prejudices, which are abundant. And I said, no, I, I used to think that too, but actually it, it didn't, it didn't originate in Spain. That's just, uh, you know, other countries were suppressing press coverage of it, I learned. And um, so, this, you know, in Spain, they allowed coverage of it. So it became known as the Spanish flu because the perception was that there was more of it there. Didn't Isn't that know. interesting? Didn't See, I didn't, I didn't even know that part. I knew that it was not Spanish in nature. I knew that it may have originated in a few different places. But, um, but I learned, you know, so I was sharing that with this guy who just didn't want to hear it because he's probably comfortable, uh, you know, being a white guy behind, uh, uh, just like I'm pretty comfortable being a white lady, you know, walking around in the general world and, um, having one's opinion challenged can feel uh like an attack even when it's simply a challenge uh and 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 like and yet then you have somebody like Ed who's able to respond intelligently and with humor to an actual attack an actual right, verbal right. attack from an asshole yeah yeah um it's uh i i often wonder what i would do in that situation um you know i try to think i will do the right thing and maybe uh, a bold or uh, a brave thing. Hopefully, this uh, this is what I have behind me here. That's I'm look that's Woody Guthrie, and I gave him a, a dialogue bubble that says, "Of course, it's okay to punch a Nazi." <laughs> <laughs> I, Ryan H. Walsh. I have learned Ryan. H., I don't know why I can't suddenly say your name, which you is just say Ryan. Simple to pronounce. Ryan H. Walsh has just shown me his whiteboard where I have discovered that he is a collage artist because that is definitely a cutout photo of what he got. It is. Yeah. And I drew, I drew the rest of them and uh, yeah, I made the, the album covers are all collages and I make those. You do? I do. Yeah. Wait, I was, I was kidding when I said collage artist. You actually do. That's awesome. No, that's kind really? of the first thing I was able to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because I, when I was looking at, um, 
You, what is your most recent album? Uh, I'm. It's called I'm You. It's like two months old. So I'm You, available on Bandcamp from Hallelujah the Hills. That's the band name. I, I think it was the cover to I'm You, which I'm going to look up right now since we're not filming this for video. And I'm just going to, you know, the people can. No, this most recent co- cover is is the first album that's like not a collage. It's, it's an old, old painting from the 17th century I found. So this painting, if I'm remembering correctly, and you, I'm doing when I when I focus, I get really intense face, especially someone's when I'm interviewing people. And one time I had an, a celebrity interview subject who I will not name, who was very kind, paused and said, "Do you know that when you're really listening, you look possessed?" And I was like, "Thank you." So uh, I well, they they knew I was possessed you know, by your. I was listening. Yeah, by your tales. My interest, Sir I'm, I'm or possessed. Madam. Exactly. So this cover is gorgeous, and it reminded me a little bit. I mean, all the covers are so beautiful. Um, Movement Scorekeepers is really cool. Oh, and yeah, Have You Ever yeah. Done Something Evil is very cool. This one I'm for I'm You, this cover for I'm You, reminds me of, um, it, I, and I know that it's an old painting, but it reminds me a little bit of uh, In the Aeroplane Over the Sea for some reason. I don't know why. Oh, sure. Well, it's that, it's that, um, Painted head, kind of looking at the viewer directly. Yeah. I think for sure. It's, yeah, it's good. Framing and a head and painting. Yeah, like uh, no, there's a, a certain vibe to it. I mean, that album's uh, so special to a lot of people. Um, I was wondering to what extent music in the home, um, where we have to be most of the time now is soothing to you and if there are specific playlists or things you listen to that help you relax. Yeah. Uh, I uh, definitely, I play music all the time. Um, uh, <laughs> well, it's not that I'm afraid of silence or, or being in my own head, uh, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> listen, I, did, I'm in I just a, started I'm in to analyze it you- as you asked <laughs> Are you in the brackets challenge, the March Madness, um, the stay at home song challenge with Meredith Goldstein? Oh, no, no, no. What is it? So it's me, me and Meredith, uh, Boston Globe columnist and podcast host Meredith Goldstein, friend of yours, I discovered. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And um, also uh, Paul Burnin, who's a, a film producer and a real estate dude and just. He is on. He started the Creative Council on uh, Emily's List, which I'm a part of. Um, and uh, Paul's a Boston guy, so they started this. Like they picked 64. We all had to pick 64 songs. Like everybody contributed to. Oh, cool! And they're competing to see what is the ultimate um, social distancing song. And I naturally contributed two songs. One was. Uh, Silver Springs by Stevie Nicks. I didn't specify that it was the live version from the 1997 to dance <laughs> album. That's fine. Uh, and then the other one was uh, Cash Shit by Megan Thee Stallion featuring Da Baby. And both of them have advanced to the next round so far. Would people vote? Oh, yeah. Okay, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So, like, so, like, what? That's what I listen to. A real just yeah. a constant mix of Stevie Nicks, and Fleetwood Mac, and uh, Megan Thee Stallion. But what do you listen to? Well... Uh, Three nights, I think it was three nights ago now when I was definitely in a panicked state of mind. <laughs> For some reason, um, making a giant playlist 
was like soothing to me. So I stayed up till three in the morning making this playlist. And I was like, I can't explain what the vibe is, but I know which songs they are when I see it. And uh, just went kind of beautiful mind about it. <laughs> but was up till three in the morning. It's six hours long. Actually, I should give you the link. You I was going to sh- ask if I could have it and share it in the show notes. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So I've been, be li- okay? I, I've been listening to that. It's kind of, of course it is. Yeah. Um, they're like, uh, they're quiet. There's not too much drums on it. That's what I'll say. <laughs> Haunting, distant, quiet, pretty. And uh, yeah, it's, you'll hear it when you hear it. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, share it with me, and then I'll share it in the show notes for everybody. So we're doing some music therapy uh, on the podcast today. So this is pretty cool. Thank you so much, Ryan. Of course. Um, I, I, I feel like I've kept you a lot longer than I said that I would. No, no, that's, that's no, all right. That's we're, all right. We're, we're doing fine. okay. Yeah. Well, um, tell me a bit about, for Van Morrison fans, for Boston fans, not Boston the band, but Boston the city, uh, and uh, really just for anybody who likes a great deep dive into history. Yeah. Tell us a bit about your book, which is available, by the way. Astral Weeks is available. What's the subtitle? Astral Weeks, A Secret History of 1968. Very good. A Secret History of 1968. (laughs) I have it at home. I just don't have it near me, which would have totally made sense for an interview, but come on. Um, So as I forget, so Real Artists Have Day Jobs has a subtitle and it's, and I always forget it. It's either Real Artists Have Day Jobs and other awesome things they don't teach you in school, or it's and other awesome things they don't tell you in school. And I don't know which it is, and I never know which it is. And I've said it incorrectly several times, twice on television and a couple times on radio. So I have no <laughs> idea. But tell us what Astral Weeks is about. Hey, by the way, it'd be great if someone's book title was like, blah, blah. And then it was like, the the subtitle was like, the publisher made me put this part in. <laughs> <laughs> this would be more marketable. Get pick this up now for your kids. I, I could blame it on the fact that I was still drinking when I came up with it, but that's absolutely no excuse because I, I have been alcohol free and still promoting this book for a while, and I still yeah. can't remember the subtitle. <laughs> I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna learn it, and then uh, anytime we talk, I'll just rattle it off just to frustrate you. Anyways, um, <laughs> so. Uh, Okay, the book. Um, well, the album Astral Weeks helped me through a hard time at the end of college. Fell in love with it. It was like my album. And um, I'm also like a Boston kid. And so the, the the very idea that these two things were connected blew my mind. Because there's this on the back of the album, there's this poem written by Van Morrison. And in the poem, he references Cambridge, Hyannisport, and Cape Cod. And... I am like not a good geography student. So I was like, oh, those must be cities in Ireland as well, because it literally made (laughs) no sense that he'd be here. So that set off that. What what was that about set off like a multi-year detective tailspin I went in about exactly why he was here. And the reason is very weird. He was on the run from the mob who were suddenly in charge of his music career after Burt Burns died in New York in 1967. So the and can you briefly yeah, can you yeah. briefly say I'm sorry to interrupt, but first no, of all, no. two things. One, your Boston accent only comes out on certain O sounds, which uh, is amazing. Oh, uh, yeah, it only comes out on like not like only, no, I, yeah. and then and then it just disappears for the rest of the time. And I have a lot of questions about that that I will be consulting a linguist at Harvard about shortly. But second of all, um, can you briefly explain for the listening audience why? A very young, very drunk, 
very wild Van Morrison was on the run, a native of Ireland, which a lot of some people don't know. Really? <laughs> oddly enough, yeah. yeah, most people know, but a couple times I've had people be like, "Wait, he's Irish?" When they hear his voice, his oh, accent. Oh yeah. Um, uh, maybe they think he's like English or something. I don't know. Anyway, um, why would he have been on the run from the mob in these United States? Well, he was in a, a band with some mates from Belfast called Them, and they started to tour the States. And this American music producer named Burt Burns, he wrote like Hang On Sloopy. Um, he like That start- was a really good, re- is that on the next Hallelujah the Hills album? Like just that snippet? Because it was very good. Yeah, just cut that out, fans. And then uh, um, he, uh, he started working with Van Morrison. Them dissolved pretty quickly. And he started working with Van Solo. He's the one responsible for Brown Eyed Girl. And so, um, um, by the way, which was which, supposed to be Brown Skin Brown Girl. Brown Skin right? Girl, yeah. I learned Isn't that, that from your book. It's yes. so, that, that's a pretty weird um, detail that, anyways. Um, so, uh, Burt Burns. Just as a just a uh, a mover and a shaker, got became friendly with these mobsters and started hanging out with them and like, oh, I kind of like this lifestyle and culture. And then Van was pissed that he wasn't seeing any money from Brown Eyed Girl, which was all over the radio. And so they would have phone calls and argue about money all the time. And um, in December of '67, Burt Burns drops dead of a heart attack, late 30s, and his wife is not shy about being like, Van, you helped do this with your argument about money. So um, Van and his girlfriend, Janet Planet, um, are suddenly terrorized by this man named Carmine Wassel Denoya, uh, who is a, a low-level mobster. And he's like smashing guitars over Van's head. I, I, Carmine is deceased now, but he was one of the first interviews I did. And I, I just found him in the phone book. I called up the number in Manhattan and he answered the phone, hello, city morgue. So I knew I had the <laughs> right guy, but, and I brought a friend to that interview too. Cause I was like, I was like, this is a mobster. And you know, I found a very old man in pajamas who wanted to regale me with tales of throwing tiny Tim off a ship into the Hudson and blah, blah, blah. Anyways. Um, I got, I got scared. Like I'm not all the way through your book yet, but um, I got scared at that point I was like wait he went to his apartment like I got <laughs> yeah. nervous even though I know that you're alive <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Communicating well, that's good with you that's yeah, good you're it, I built alive. tension yeah I mean I they, felt tension I got I got I was like oh dude don't do this <laughs> <laughs> I mean there is a the book was written in the order that you read it and that kind of wide-eyed boy detective vibe that's through it is real because I am like, gee whiz, at every discovery along with the reader um, because it was blowing my mind as it happened, you know, especially because I love Boston, but I thought it was counterculturally boring. Um, yeah, because we then, don't hear about about the sum, that, that summer. We don't hear about Boston in the 60s. We sort of get this space. There's this space from like JFK getting elected president. Um, and then he gets assassinated. And, but by that point, we're still not hearing about Boston anymore until like the racist busing. Yeah. Cut, cut to, Hey, yeah, I gotta get my, to, I gotta get my plug. One second. Oh, sure. So you survived going to see an elderly mobster who is now deceased. That's right. <laughs> and you got to talk about like why they were trying to shake Van down. Yeah. 
And and I won't say, you know, what happens, but Van Morrison, I believe, is still alive to this day. He sure is. And uh, he's uh, more of a curmudgeon than ever. Uh, was he super not into being a part of this book at all? Um, I desperately, I, w- I would have loved to talk to him. But at a certain point, it became so clear we weren't. Like, I was reaching out to people who I thought were his manager, and you could hear them backing up on the phone, like, I don't manage him anymore. Like, like the idea that he had been a pain in his ass. And I even reached out to his lawyer and, like, did a social media campaign. Like, I've talked to every living person who worked on Astral Weeks. You should talk to me. And I think that all that that did was piss off the teenager who runs Van's social media accounts or something. So, um but at a certain point, Van started to act like a ghost in the book because he wasn't talking. Like that, his not participating took on a positive presence in the story, I felt, because he's also not the same guy who wrote those songs. And, you know, and he doesn't have that relationship anymore. It just, I started to, like I try to do most things when I have a negative or a weakness, you know. Think of an angle where maybe it could be a positive. Yeah, well, I think that's a powerful strategy for dealing with life is to try and make lemonade out of lemons in some way, shape, or form. I mean, shit, like, there are so many downsides to having to be at home and not getting to do one's job anymore at all or in the in the way that to which one is accustomed. And if there is any upside... Um, Perhaps it is the ability to connect with other people during this time, hopefully not through trauma bonding, but probably some of that, but maybe connecting just through um, looking out for each other, you know, honestly, listening to a playlist that gets you through the day when you want to fucking do something terrible, Uh, but you don't, you manage yourself and you self-soothe through, through music or through breath work or, and that's really like what this podcast is about is finding not just like not just asking the guests how they self-soothe and how they deal with things but also asking them for about what they've created and their resources and 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 letting people know about these artists and you know uh who are out there whose work they may not have gotten into before so yeah um, it's been so awesome having you on the podcast. I really appreciate oh, it. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for thinking of me, really. Where where can the people learn more about you and the things that you do and the things we have discussed? <laughs> yes. Well, <laughs> the best uh, outro ever. <laughs> That's conclusion. Right, well, I just you should have you should have just lit, lit a cigarette and say, "Do your plugs. <laughs> do do your fucking plugs." Um, do do your plugs. Uh, the two main websites are hallelujahhills.com for music. And then AstralWeeks.com. Thank you. Slow me down. Dot, dot com. Dot com. Love it. And then AstralWeeks.net is the book. But then, you know, I um, if you want to see everything I do or my daily musings, I guess, I, I probably do most on Twitter, um, which is at JahHills, J-A-H-H-I-L-L-S. I like How that. Uh- Goof oh, around, have fun on there. Yeah. Just a wacky scam. You know, yeah. Uh, when, how much can, can the people look forward to seeing uh, Twyla, the beautiful tortoiseshell cat that you possess? Or who possesses you? Uh, she's, she'll, she'll 
she makes her presence known. She's she's actually got a press clipping. I keep a cl- a press highlight of her. She's been mentioned in Spin magazine. Why? Like I'm gonna I'm gonna send this to you too, Twyla's uh, press reel, because because <laughs> when people come to the home and she's so friendly and beautiful that she inevitably ends up in the story and like. But there's always an adjective attached, so it's like. An agreeable tortoise shell cat, like or a talkative little cat named Twilight. So I would be so I'm so surprised. Like uh, that makes me very happy to hear that she's friendly because, as you know, we were discussing. I have put in an application to foster cats during this time, and I'm like, what? What am I going to be welcoming into the house? Am I going to? How much attitude am I going to get from this thing that I'm going to keep alive and suddenly grow to love? (laughs) Yeah. So I love that she's cuddly and friendly. That's awesome. She her face. I mean. Uh, she has resting Twyla face. It might look like sh- she's not into whatever you're selling, but she—that's just—that's just the way her her little furry face has been organized. And Twyla, of course, brings to mind Twyla Tharp. Right. Also br- brings to mind the character of Twyla on Schitt's Creek, which is a wonderful show and very therapeutic. I highly recommend it. I've heard that from so many people. I should I should definitely watch that during uh, during qu- quarantine. It's good. The first season starts, you know, it's, it's funny. The first season is kind of like the first season of 30 Rock in that it's, it doesn't have as much heart. And it's, it's very joke stuffed, which it is throughout. But um, it really starts to, you start to get into some more tenderness and emotion toward the end of season one. And that builds more in season two. And it really finds its footing kind of halfway through season two. And then there's a lot of, you're going to do some unexpected weeping at things that are not objectively sad. Just uh, you will, they worm their way into your heart. And I'm, I'm sad because I was going to go to a big Schitt's Creek live event at the Borgata in Atlantic city with my mom and dad, but fucking Corona means like who fucking knows. Yeah. Who knows? I I mean, I I look forward to that because I have hours. I think Catherine O'Hara is, a comedic genius. So knowing that there's hours of her waiting for me is pretty, uh, that's something to look forward to. And it's so much Catherine O'Hara. Oh, good. Just so much. I mean, she's just, oh God, it's so good. All right, well, we'll we'll, we'll talk about this more one-on-one, I'm sure. But um, Ryan, thank you so much for being here. And thank you for being a part of Well, This Isn't Normal. Thank you, Sarah. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much to Ryan H. Walsh for that interview. As I'm recording this outro, this farewell to this episode, I'm sitting on the couch next to Polly, the foster cat. As I think you heard when you listened to the Ryan interview, I hadn't adopted her yet, nor had I fostered her. I mean, she's not my foster cat anymore. She's my cat cat. And um, she has so many toes and she's playing with her tail And then I throw, you know, cat toys to try and get her into that. And she just seems um, sort of vaguely intrigued, but then way more into her tail. I don't know. Getting some more, some more stuff tomorrow. So we shall see. Well, (sighs) I promised you a relaxation um, exercise. And so here's one. As I'm sitting on the couch 
with a weighted blanket listening to the sound of the rain outside, which is relatively rare here in Los Angeles, but we've been having quite a lot of it. And it has absolutely coincided with the stricter rules around socializing as well as the heightened media attention to coronavirus. So people who grew up here, which I did not, I grew up in out in the countryside in New Jersey, but people who grew up here are really used to having sunshine most of the time. And you do see a drop in mood. I mean, a lot of times people initially think the rain is cool and it's a nice change. But um, when it goes on for a few days, you can see that people start to get depressed. They start to feel down. They're not used to driving in the rain, which is understandable. I mean, heck, I'm not used to being in earthquakes or fire season. I've lived here for quite a few years now, but... If everything was on fire all the time once a year back home in New Jersey, I think people would freak out. So I can understand why people here can take that in a little bit of stride, but get a bit wobbly while driving in the rain. I love it here. It's my adopted home, but I do notice that things change a bit. However, I've also heard some people say, you know, I'm glad that it's raining right now because I don't feel the sadness about not being able to go to picnics with my friends or on big hikes whenever I want to without being worried about social distancing and, and things like that. So in honor of uh, the need to relax and in honor of the rain, I'm reading something that's absolutely not about rain. <laughs> and it's certainly not about, about early spring. It's about summer. And this is one of Mary Oliver's greatest hits, poet Mary Oliver, lived from 1935 to 2019, and she lived for a long time in New England with her wife or partner. I don't know if, if they got married. And then after her partner died, she uh, moved, I believe Mary Oliver moved down to Florida, where she eventually passed away. She has lots and lots of poetry collections out. She's really wonderful and very thoughtful, very simple, very accessible, and I am fond of her. I am fond of her poetry. I like weird, experimental, deliberately inaccessible shit. And I like simple, clean, clear, plain, highly accessible shit. And um, she's very enjoyable. So I invite you during this time to take a deep breath. And again, let's remember to let that inhalation make our bellies inflate. All right, let's try it one more time. And try and let your shoulders drop on this exhale. And just keep breathing slowly. Inhaling and exhaling for even counts. If you want to count to five, that's fine. If you want to count to four, if you don't want to count at all, that's okay. I just don't want you doing a quick inhale and then a long exhale or vice versa. And I want you to put your hand on your belly if you need to. You might want to put your hand over your heart if that comforts you. Sometimes it does for me. And I'm going to read you a poem from Mary Oliver. The Summer Day Who made the world? Who made the swan and the black bear? Who made the grasshopper? 
this grasshopper, I mean, the one who has flung herself out of the grass, the one who is eating sugar out of my hand, who is moving her jaws back and forth instead of up and down, who is gazing around with her enormous and complicated eyes. Now she lifts her pale forearms and thoroughly washes her face. Now she snaps her wings open and floats away. I don't know exactly what a prayer is. I do know how to pay attention, how to fall down into the grass, how to kneel down in the grass, how to be idle and blessed, how to stroll through the fields, which is what I have been doing all day. Tell me, what else should I have done? Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Take another deep breath for me. Thank you so much for spending a few moments of your one wild and precious life with me on this podcast. My name is Sarah Benincasa. It is an honor to be here with you. I hope you laughed. I hope you chilled out. If you cried, I hope that was helpful. And I hope you rest well tonight. I will talk to you again tomorrow.